Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, queer talkers. The first and only global award ceremony celebrating LGBTQ plus video gaming is back. The Gaming Awards, presented by Twitch, returns for its second year this April, and for the first time ever, they're coming into real life, with the show being held at the iconic Troxy Theatre in East London. Honestly, it's going to be great. They, of course, have awards which celebrate LGBT plus contributions and representation in the gaming industry. And this year, they've introduced awards for comic books and esports. I'm going to nerdgasm so hard when I'm there on April 25th. Ooh... The awards feature an exclusive in-person nerdy drag pre-show featuring five iconic artists from the drag collective Sybil's House. There's a limited number of general admission ticket sales available and 20% of all ticket sales go to the It Gets Better project. And if you want to join us there, check out GamingAwards.com or search at GamingMag on all socials. Hello and welcome back to Queer Talk, a queer podcast that brings you a regular dose of positive news stories and fabulous interviews. Hi! Hi. It is so, so good to be back. The energy this year is high. And today we are joined by the incredible Azifa Lahore. Azifa is Britain's first out Muslim drag queen and a proud disabled Muslim trans woman. Azifa came into the national spotlight in 2014 when she was censored by the Birmingham Central Mosque from discussing Islam and homosexuality on BBC Free Speech. And featuring on television, across the press and at fashion weeks, Azifa is everywhere. And now she's here with us. How exciting! Hello, God, what an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> was, that, was that okay? I always panic. I normally wait for the guests to be like, I never did any of that. What are you talking about? No, I mean, you've researched it really, really well. I mean, I was smiling as you were um, saying it because I was like, God, did I really do all that? <laughs> you've done so much. I've read through your website. I've read every article. We've watched every video. And I'm like, wow. Well, I, I, I'm sure there's a lot that I can tell you that isn't out there, if you need oh. to know. <laughs> Um, so how are you feeling, Asifa? New year, new you? I'm feeling good, yeah. Um, I'm glad that it's 2022 because um, 2021 was just 2021, wasn't it? So I'm glad <laughs> that there's a new year. I'm glad that we can all try and get back to some sense of normality. But I just hope that this year, you know, stuff like London Pride and, you know, other prides that were cancelled the last two years, I just hope that they come back and we can all be one big you know, queer, loving family again. That's it. I missed the festivals last year, so I really want the festivals to happen this year. Mm. You're right, you're right. I think holding those spaces is something that we haven't been able to do as much during the pandemic. Mm. A lot of it's been online, but 
I think, you know, um, it's it's definitely given us a lot of time to reflect. I think a lot of the people in the community have kind of sat and gone, right, what what does pride really mean? Is it just getting drunk and doing poppers in a field? Or is, is there more <laughs> to it than that? Um, and I think people have been able to kind of reflect and learn a lot as well. So I'm kind of grateful for that as an experience, but I do still want to go out and dance in the heat. You're making me sound bad as if I've just said all I want to do is poppers on the field. <laughs> no, that wasn't what you said. <laughs> I think we should jump straight in. We've got some questions for you, Azifa. <laughs> and this is about you, not about us doing poppers in a field. So we should uh, we should move on, move on nicely. I think you guys doing poppers in a field is way more interested in if no. I'm honest with you. No. We'll get you doing the poppers. <laughs> oh, yeah, why not? Let's loosen up. <laughs> so, Azifa, you have been in and around the club scene from a pretty young age. I want to know, when was that moment for you where you decided to test the waters of drag and move towards being the phenomenon that you are today? Phenomenon. Mm, thank you, God. I've been called all sorts of things, but not a phenomenon. So thank you so much to start with. Um, wow, what a question to begin with. Um, so I began like sneaking out um, during like my college years. I, I like went to like the scene in London like I believe like when I was around 17 I would literally like sneak out and uh, tell my parents that I was going on like you know extra um, extra late sort of like college trips uh, where we had to do research and stuff because you know my parents were not ever going to allow me out to go clubbing let alone gay clubbing and my first sort of experience is like quite traumatic in many ways because like I always thought that going to like the queer scene I would be welcomed with like open arms and it's all one big happy family and you know um we can sing um and skip down old Compton Street uh you know when I first started going out and I sound like a bloody old hag and I'm not I'm only like 38 <laughs> but when I was 17 like the the amount of people of color that were on the scene were is nowhere near as what it is now and I always like felt that I couldn't see myself or always felt that I had to like defend myself for being you know a person of South Asian heritage and and also identifying as a Muslim and then you know toppled with that like I had to kind of like deal with my disability I'm I'm on the blind spectrum and going into like dark venues some of them were really fun but others like it was quite hard to like maneuver and stuff so it took me a while to get comfortable with being a gay person on the queer scene um and it took me about 10 years to actually pluck up the courage to literally like become a drag queen. And I think those first few experiences of like that, that feeling of being like one of few people of color, you know, dealing with racism, le dealing with microaggressions on the scene. Um, I would like, I would go and see drag shows from like, you know, stellar cabaret artists like Sandra and Rose Garden and Miss Jason. And I'd, I love that sense of like British humor and cabaret. And for years I wanted to do it, but I never felt confident in enough. And it was only when I was 27 and I was out clubbing with one, uh, with a few friends of mine one night in Soho. Um, they saw a poster for Drag Idol UK. And I entered that competition. It was that competition that actually gave me the title of Britain's first out Muslim drag queen because up until that point in the history of that competition, there had been no South Asian person or Muslim person that had entered that 
uh, competition. And that is a massive competition that like Bag of Chips has won it, Tanya Hyde, uh, Louis Cipher, Son of a Tutu, um, so, so many. Even Lavoie, uh, Lavoie actually won it the year I entered. I came third in the national final and it, it kick-started my career and I kind of never looked back since. That's where you got the kind of the title of first out Muslim drag queen. Were you quite comfortable like taking on that title at the time? Most definitely and I tell you why I mean I I knew like entering a competition that you know I don't know about you guys but if you're gonna enter a competition you want to win you don't want to like Absolutely. you know come last or second last or whatever so I thought okay what can set me apart from the rest of my competitors and you know at the time like this was what 2012 I knew that me being me going on stage if I were to just just do some random you know lip sync act or if I was just to do a standard parody number that it really wouldn't set me apart and I knew as a person of color that the that the first thing that people will see the audience members and judging panels was the fact that I was a brown kid so I said okay you know, at this time, like, I remember watching, like, a Channel 4 news debate about uh, women wearing the burqa and, uh, you know, the burqa was very much in the mainstream media at the time. So I basically went on stage wearing, like, a burqa, which I ripped off to, like, reveal a sari, which I ripped off to, like, um, reveal, like, a miniskirt, a Union Jack sequin miniskirt. And for me, my drag was very much discussing, like... Um, being British South Asian, being Muslim, being queer. Um, you know, my first song was literally I'm a Punjabi girl in a Punjabi world. It was literally <laughs> like a, a parody of the Aqua song, uh, Barbie Girl. So, um, no, I, I was never sort of like, um, you know, I, I wasn't wary or ashamed or felt pressure in owning that. I think for me, um, I felt a sense of heaviness in the sense that, okay, if this is the title that the scene is giving me, then I really need to harness it. I need to like, you know, refine it. And I also need to educate myself because um, all I had uh, until that point were my own experiences. Um, and amazingly, you went on and uh, started your own club night. So Disco Rani is London's Bollywood club night for Gaysians. You started Disco running several years ago and I just wanted to ask you like what what motivated you to start your own club night? I basically started that in 2012 uh, Disco Rani and it was literally a few months after I won the bronze award in uh, Drag Idol UK. You know up until sort of that point uh, pre-drag I had experiences of going to uh, Bollywood LGBT nightclubs and spaces such as Club Kali which is like legendary yeah. um, longest running sort of LGBT Bollywood's queer club night in the world and uh, places like Urban Desi and Shakti so I had you know I, I was well aware of uh, the Gaijin scene before I started drag um, and when I did start drag you know the idea came very very quickly because as well as performing in cabaret and um, you know doing uh, club hosting I began sort of getting like DJ lessons on the side um, and by the end of uh, like six months after Dragado UK I just 
you know, I realize that my natural sort of instincts when it comes to DJing are Bollywood, are Bangra, are house music, commercial pop. And I sort of just mixed that all together and created uh, Disco Rani, which, you know, started off uh, at the legendary West Five in, in Ealing in West London. Um, and obviously being close to like, you know, South Hall, Luxbridge, Hounslow, Ealing, it just attracted so many like Bollywood lovers that you know wanted that space just to to let loose and yeah. uh it's been running ever since yeah there's definitely like a, a need for spaces like that like club carly's been going on for 25 years i, I mm. went to the anniversary night last month and there's always space for more of that and i think people who go to like queer desi nights you you feel like a very different energy than you would going to a queer night just generally but i i need to go to disco rani at some point so please please have one for me Oh, most definitely. <laughs> Honey, you're welcome anytime, you know. Uh, you don't even need to be on the guest list because you are the guest list, babe. I'll just show up. <laughs> Do you know me? Um, one of the things I did notice is, like, obviously Club Carly is Desi Night out for mostly, like, I've been to Club Carly and it's been mostly Indian people. So as a Bangladeshi Muslim, sometimes I still, I still feel like a little bit of an outsider. Uh, but when I was looking at uh, Disco Rani, I, I saw that there was, like, a one night called the Eid Party. How do you have a... Th- a theme for, like Eid for a club night is it must be quite fun to incorporate that into what you're doing on the night I mean I, I think the best thing I say about being being British South Asian is that you get to celebrate all the different sort of religions that you know culturally and ethnically uh, we come from so mm-hmm. you know uh, at Diskorani I've had like Diwali parties I've had Vasaki parties for the Sikh community for the Hindu community and obviously Eid parties for uh, the Muslim community too she caters for all it just caters for everyone and you know we i i i have a my christmas nights are called merry christmas nights or christmas nights <laughs> so you know it, it just depends like it's whatever's happening at that time it's you know looking at what's happening like in the calendar but also i just like to have fun with it you know i i in august um every august i have something called the shadi party which you know is is the wedding party because in in late summer is when most british asian weddings Mm -hmm. tend to happen in the UK so you know I'll be there dressed as a bride DJing hosting having fun and dancing away to you know all sorts of 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 party tunes mixed in with like classic wedding stuff so it's just about for me it's just about having fun and and celebrating culture mixed in with with British culture as well because you know, having grown up in London uh, and the UK it's it's just that infusion of of music and culture that I love are you also hosting other drag performers? Oh, most definitely. I mean, I, um, being who I am, um, um, you know, I'm well aware of um, other South Asian drag artists, whether it's drag kings, non-binary performers, queens, you name it. I mean, a lot of like, people come from say um india uh, for the first time in the uk if they're coming like as students or whatever and they contact me and go oh sifa i really want to do drag and you know i'm i'm really cool about giving people uh, a platform whether they've been doing it for years or whether they've been doing it for two minutes in their bedroom i'm very much about like letting people experience and express their inner drag self <laughs> You definitely seem to have found that balance between having fun, but also kind of featuring and platforming and kind of 
making that visibility happen not only for yourself now that you've reached a certain level um based on how hard you've worked but also like you said like bringing other people up regardless of how much time and experience they've had i was looking through um all of the things that you've been doing over over your uh, career and um back in 2020 you featured in the campaign um hashtag brown drag exists and i'm curious to know It obviously featured a number of brown drag artists, but I'm curious to know, did it help platform more people? Did it give them more confidence? And do you you think there are more brown drag artists on the scene today? So the campaign uh, Brown Drag Exists sort of came from a place of absolute um, frustration for me because, you know, I think we had just had like two seasons of of RuPaul's Drag Race uh, UK and uh, you know with with a major success of a show like that which I fully fully support I love the show I'm a super fan of the show but at the time I was well aware that the lack of South Asian diversity on the show would impact you know the drag community in the UK and you know this talk of diversity it's not just about South Asian uh, drag artists but also just uh, diversity throughout the UK scene and for me I was just so frustrated that I wasn't seeing drag artists like myself um, not only in the UK but around the world um, having access to the same platforms that white drag queens were getting I was like, okay, what can I do? So I just contacted a friend of mine in the US. Her name is Queen Karma Sutra. And um, she's amazing. She's, um, you know, Florida based and she does her stuff there. Uh, she was like, okay, you contact some of, you know, artists that you know, um, and I'll do the same. And we'll also put out a call uh, online. And it just, what began as just like two people just sort of snowballed into like, 20 30 40 plus sort of drag artists that wanted to be involved in this and um we reached out to pink news who really gave us a great platform to to you know elevate uh, the campaign and and what really got me was the fact that you had south asian heritage sort of drag kings drag queens non-binary performers political performers you know uh, performers that just were comedy or cabaret or live singers not just from say um india pakistan bangladesh and and south asian regions but you had people from you know new zealand canada us south america africa i was just like just blown away by what I thought that, you know, the plethora of of South Asian drag talent was uh, versus the reality. You know, since that was launched, God, that was like, I think it was the summer of 2020. And yeah. since then, you know, a lot of um, these uh, performers that were featured not only have been given platforms to raise their voice, like in their home countries or online, but they've had access to spaces that wouldn't have normally been available to them um you know it's not all rainbows and fairy tales and skipping down uh, i always go back to old compton street skipping down <laughs> old compton street but you know i still think there's a lot of work to be done but i'm glad that we're you know beginning of 2022 uh, that we finally had you know since that campaign we've had priyanka win canada's drag race and we've had uh, rani kohinoor feature in queen of uh, the universe so you know i like to think that slowly but surely south asian drag representation is is getting there where it needs to be yeah 
Oh, and one other thing I wanted to mention, the other, I mean, it, it was during that time that I found out statistics that, you know, frustrated me even more that, you know, the South Asian community in the UK is the largest ethnic minority. And also, all British businesses in the UK, 52% of them are South Asian run. You know, the South Asian community, like, pumps so much like um into british culture and the british economy and we need to be represented in in all fronts um and you know whether it's a drag scene i i pushed for that (laughs) yeah it's it's when you realize that it's not that there's a lack of people it's it's the lack of um opportunity Mm. given to those people right because Mm. from it from an outsider perspective particularly for me growing up in in north wales as a as a white person it just didn't exist that wasn't a thing that was was normal or seen so then I wouldn't have gone ahead and and looked for that but then as I've grown up and my circles have expanded and particularly spending time in cities like London and Manchester you realize that these people are all out there often working a lot harder than their white counterparts Mm. I know you're very close with Lady Bushra as are we and (laughs) The absolute chaos I love the bush. bush. I love the bush. If anyone's listening and they don't know who Lady Busher is, go to Instagram and <laughs> you know follow Lady Busher. She's amazing. She's just chaos. And like like you said, um, when when you performed on Drag Idol, like not just performing a classic, you know, lip sync to a song, another parody that everyone's already heard. Like coming up with her own material and, mm. and putting comedy into it and playing on, you know, um, religion, ethnicity, all of these things is just it's just very special because it's it's educational, but also it's it's hilarious, it's entertaining. It doesn't make you feel like you're sat at a lecture being exactly. told off. It, exactly. You feel good to be there. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, as well as um, the Brown Drag Exists campaign, and as well as your own club nights, and as well as um, DJing and, and doing everything you've done, you've also featured in a number of TV shows... Oh, God, yeah. I mean, my name is, you know, Asifa Lahore and God, uh, you know, you can call me a media whore if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. You featured on Muslim Drag Queens in 2015 and also My God, I'm Queer that was on Channel 4. My question to you is, if you were to create your own TV show, Asifa, what would it be? Who would it feature? And what would be the most exciting thing about it? Wow. Okay, so... um, Thinking about this, I was like, 
do you know what do I like watching on television and I'll be honest with you I love watching like drama series that are like you know murder mysteries or like crime thrillers and what I would do if I had like you know open plan to like do whatever I wanted to do say for Channel 4 or the BBC I would create a drama series around the drag scene and it would be a murder mystery it would be a whodunit um so you know i have an idea of like the lead like you know a drag queen who's like infamous has been working for like decades everyone looks up to her and then one night she's like found dead in the dressing room (laughs) and every drag queen um in the city is like a suspect and it'll be like an eight episode season and yeah it'll have lots of twists and turns um and it's always the least you know suspected person that ends up being the culprit was it the bush it might have been the yeah, bush. yeah we could get lady bush in there why not <laughs> <laughs> i love when we normally send people the questions they might skim over them before the show and i love that you've literally written a full pitch proposal i bet you've already contacted channel four i wouldn't be surprised do you know I what i mean of oh god the things we've pitched to channel four in the past have just been absolutely ridiculous but i'll be honest no that hasn't that hasn't been pitched yet and um to be honest who knows where i think when it comes to like tv pitching i think commissioners still are very very safe and i don't think something like that will get the the green lights uh, and you can trust me on that i think i think tv commissioners are still very conservative in in what they put out but i i, I personally think like that would be a great drama series and i think i just wish tv commissioners would get with what's going on at the moment yeah yeah for sure i mean all the drag we see are all competition so i think a drag murder mystery is absolutely something we should we should commission yeah i love the idea if anyone from channel 4's commissioning team is listening um which yeah I'm please sure get are, in touch just get in touch it's azifa lahore you already know her right after this uh interview let's have a meeting about this show and let's make it happen <laughs> most definitely <laughs> so when we're looking at your website it does say that what started off your career will put you into the limelight was when you were on TV on the BBC uh, free speech show you asked to uh, ask a question about being gay and being Muslim I think your question was like when will it be okay to be gay and Muslim Mm -hmm. and they 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 showed the video but then they also said oh because we're in a mosque we we can't debate this ironically on a show called free speech Mm-hmm. I wanted to know, like you said earlier, like we can only really talk from our own experiences, but I'd be interested to hear from you if you think British Muslims are becoming more accepting and understanding towards LGBT Muslims like you and I. I mean, it's it's that is, I think, the $64 million question. And um, have things changed since 2014 uh, when that, you know, uh, when I asked that infamous question on BBC Free Speech? Um, yes, things have changed. I, I, I definitely see more and more... Um, people from, you know, Muslim communities that are queer, out uh, and proud. Um, I I think more and more people are happier to and braver to put their faces on social media. Whereas, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, even before like the, I I remember the times before social media when we just had Gaydar, for example, and people would just be so scared to put like their own faces up on there. Um, So I think there's much more, I I think many more people are coming out now than, than ever before from the community. I mean, I, I always say, look, I can only talk about my own personal circumstances because 
you know you your your experiences and circumstances and what you think and believe are really a result of of how you've dealt with it and how your your own coming out stories so you know i've had the absolute pleasure of coming out twice and i say it's a pleasure despite all the trauma but really it it really is a pleasure to have the opportunity to come out twice first um as a gay man um in my um early 20s and then in my early 30s I began transitioning and I live as as fully female um and I've had like the journey of coming out to my family here in the UK and then also coming out to my family in Pakistan and oddly enough I I think my family they accepted me as a gay man but I think when I came out as transgender it was a whole a whole different sort of um level of acceptance and you know i come and go to pakistan uh, all the time um i try and go every year actually when i can i mean i haven't been for two years because of the pandemic but i have a really great relationship with with my uh, both my parents and you know the majority of my extended family uh, in pakistan and i'm lucky because not everybody has that experience and like i said not everything's rainbow because i'd say about 20% of my family don't don't agree with what i do they'd rather i just kept hush hush about it and i think in south asian communities and muslim communities it's easier to keep things under the carpet than address them you know as well as like same sex marriages or homosexuality i mean you know divorce abuse domestic violence there's still major taboos in our community uh, my younger sister, for example, she uh, married a, a French guy uh, last year. And, you know, even she was like, I wouldn't say she was quaking in her boots or anything, but it was quite a big deal. Like, you know, uh, marrying someone from uh, from a different culture, that was still a big deal to our parents. But I'd say, look, things are slowly changing. I don't think we're there fully. I think, oddly enough, I think in South Asia. So, for example, in the last decade, like the trans rights in Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, like have shot through the roof. Like, um, you know, it's legal to be transgender in these countries. Uh, Pakistan, for example, you know, a government bill went through in 2018 that protected employment rights for trans people and identity rights. And again, I'm not saying it's plain sailing. It it isn't, but... I believe that in the West, we're still get coming to terms with the tea, whereas in the East, um, the tea has been there for centuries and has yeah. been understood. The only thing that isn't understood there is the LGB, whereas we've got the LGB sorted here. So it's a really interesting dynamic at the moment. No, you're right. There's, I think they, in Bangladesh, uh, there was the first trans candidate who won like a local election as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have like newsreaders. We have like, yeah. as you say, like, you know, um, electoral candidates. Yeah. All sorts of things are happening out there. Um, and, you know, I just think there's in the UK, there's such a fear at the moment around, you know, trans communities and i'm just glad that tom daly in his um christmas speech you know really really raised the voice for trans rights and he's so sexy as well (laughs) (laughs) which is always a winner if someone's sexy is relaying a a very important message then it always gets across right most most definitely i think i mean mufseen if you ever want to do a campaign please do (laughs) i'd definitely be up for it 
Yeah, mostly start saying something important and then people will listen. <laughs> Maybe. <you know? laughs> um, while we have you, Asifa, can I ask if you go to Pakistan a lot, what's the queer scene like in Pakistan? Wow. Okay, so the queer scene is very underground in, in Pakistan. So I go to the cities of like Karachi, Lahore, Islamabad. Um, Islamabad is really like a bubble. It's not like the real Pakistan. It's very much like a bureaucratic city where like the 1% elite live. And over there, it's much more easier to like sort out a queer party in like a, you know, a five-star hotel and whatnot and no one's going to bat an eyelid. But in Lahore and Karachi, it's much more underground. So, you know, if you were ever to go, just switch on your grinder, like literally like... Within seconds, you'll have, like, at least 100 messages. It's ridiculous. Like, it's really alive out there. And, you know, people meet up and have parties in, like, cow fields. And, you know, you just make you just make it up as you go along kind of thing. Um, it's all very underground. In terms of visibility, I think that the transgender community is the most visible. Because, you know, you see them out on the streets, like, working begging um you see them as waitressing or like you know doing their jobs basically you even see like taxi drivers that are you know trans as well so um they're the most visible and with that obviously they get a lot of stick as well yeah it's 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 mainly underground it's like it's like what the uk was say um in the 70s and 60s i'm sure i mean i look i always say things evolves time always evolves you know, I, I recently saw that in the last two, three years, Christmas has really been celebrated in Pakistan. I mean, on Pakistan International Airlines, they had like air stewards dressed up as Santa welcoming people on board. <laughs> so and that never would have happened like 20, even 10 years ago, it wouldn't have happened. So, you know, I'm sure things will change eventually. It's just going to take a long time. And yeah. I mean, when we think like it was nearly what, 70 odd years ago in this country where it was criminalized to be homosexual. So, um, you know, I, I, I have faith that things will change and faith and hope, because if we don't have that faith and hope, then we've got to do something about it. And I can't believe it's the end already. That just went really, really quickly. But it was really, really nice to just sit and chat with you, Asifa. Likewise, likewise. And um, I mean, I'm a massive fan of, of the podcast. I'm a massive fan of you both. So thank you for having me on here. And I really hope that, you know, 2022 is a happier, joyous time for people. It will be if Disco Rani comes back. <laughs> oh, it definitely will. Don't you worry. I, um, it's going to come back at the city of Quebec in central London um, whenever we're allowed to do it. So I can't wait. A huge thank you to Asifa for joining us today. Where can we find you online? You can find me at Asifa Lahore on all social medias. We will be tagging you, but also a quick Google search and Asifa Lahore is everywhere. This was not hard to do no research for this episode. You are everywhere. You've done so much and I'm just super inspired, to be honest, by everything you've achieved. Absolutely legendary. We were we were a little bit stunned. I'm just fangirling now, but we were a little bit stunned. I remember saying to Mufsin, like, oh my God, do you know, do you know Asifa Lahore? And Mufsin's like, of course. I'm like, 
Azifa keeps liking all our tweets. Like, do you, do you think she listens? Uh, of course I, I listen. I bloody <laughs> love your podcast. And and I'll be totally honest with you. I'm I'm very like open. Like there's many podcasts out there now. It's like oversubscribed. Um and many of them are boring. But yours I have to say, oh my god, I, I live. <laughs> I live. I'm glad. You know when I'm... like two people just have great chemistry? Um you you guys just have great chemistry. I love it. Do not forget to let us know that you have listened to this show on social media. We are on Instagram at queer underscore talk and on Twitter we are queer talk underscore. Until next time. Bye. Bye.